Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 24th episode, the Zhou Guan Yu episode, and I am back after the Belgian Grand Prix. We finally get some F1 action after a few week hiatus, and even though it wasn't the most exciting race, there is still quite a lot that we can talk about, so let's get into it. It's lights out and away we go! The big story heading into the weekend was, of course, the new technical directive regarding the flexi floors used most notably by Ferrari and Red Bull, but by the time practice came around, it, it did not look like the new rules phased them at all. Um, it was announced Friday, though, that a number of drivers, including Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Esteban Ocon, and Lando Norris, would take back-of-the-grid penalties, and it, it appeared that it was setting up a great race to come back to um, at the legendary spa, Frank Shaw. Of course, we didn't get a race there last year, like I mentioned in my preview episode. Um, but, however, it did not matter. Max Verstappen dominated the weekend. He went fastest in qualifying by over six-tenths to Carlos Sainz, who was, of course, promoted to provisional pole. He finished ahead of Sergio Perez. That gave those two front-row starts and Sainz provisional pole. I'm not sure if Sainz actually gets the stat for pole. I, I should have looked that up. Um, cause that would be his second career pole position, of course, if that were the case, but he, uh, he, he was nowhere near Max's level in qualifying. Um, and speaking of not on the level in qualifying Mercedes just could not get their tires in the right window. Uh, they struggled in every sector as a result, they called it the worst quality they have had in years going P seven and P eight, not impressive. They had a, a McLaren ahead of them. They had, uh, two Alpines ahead of them was was not a great look of course um and that gave fernando alonso a p3 start on the grid because he was promoted he finished ahead of lewis hamilton who p4 on the grid um and really high up on the grid like uncharacteristically high on the grid was alex albon who had an all-world qualifying going 10th fastest making it into q3 uh he was the last driver to do that surprisingly nicholas latifi actually did have that stat over his teammate Basically the only stat he had. Now he doesn't have that. Albon started P6 due to the to the penalties all across the grid. What a starting spot for a Williams. That that is great. Um, especially considering Williams had that ridiculous starting spot of P2 last year at Spa. They just didn't get to uh, get to quite convert it in the race. They uh, were happy to take the podium, but they really wasn't that hard earned. Of course, Russell got half points for that effort of doing one lap behind a safety car. Um, anyway, let's let's get to the race. Um, lap one, uh, we thought that we might see some people go off at Lasaurus because now there is gravel trap there. Lasaurus is turn one, of course. Um, but no, all clean through turn one. Uh, Sergio Perez had a pretty bad start. That gave Hamilton the opportunity to tow Alonso all the way down the Kemmel Strait into Lake Combe and... It looked like Hamilton was about to take P2 right behind Sainz, who got a great getaway. And Hamilton just completely misjudges the corner, gets taken out, while Alonso says on the radio that Hamilton only knows how to drive and start in first. Um, Alonso did say that he wishes that uh, not everything was broadcasted when he's talking to his team. And Hamilton said, um, you know, he, he admitted fault after the race and he didn't really want to hear what Fernando had to say and we actually got a kind of a funny tidbit 
Um, luckily, I am recording this a day late because I was able to pick this up. Apparently, Lewis signed a little hat for Fernando and is sending it his way. I immediately forwarded that to Fernando, and I was like, you have to wear this at Zanvoort. Of course, he is not going to see my post, but it's worth a shot because that would be absolutely hilarious. Anyways, um, just my quick thoughts on it. I, I, it's kind of clear-cut in my opinion. It was Lewis's fault. He had room on the outside, and he just closed the door way too hard for some reason. Very uncharacteristic of Lewis. I do think those comments were unfair from Fernando, but those are classic Fernando Alonso stirring the pot comments that he just loves to make. Um, and it certainly was great for our entertainment, so I was okay with that. Um, but yeah, Lewis, it was definitely Lewis's fault. I wouldn't say Fernando took evasive action, but at the same time, he was as far over to the right as he could possibly be. Um, Lewis was the car ahead, but not so much significantly ahead that Fernando should have backed out. Yeah, Lewis Lewis had plenty of space, and he, he is definitely predominantly to blame, if not all to blame in that scenario. Um, he's lucky that he didn't get a grid penalty, although I think that would have been unfair because it wasn't egregious. It is lap one, and, you know... He already got penalized by not finishing the race. He he was out just like that with uh, terminal damage. So I think I think the FAA got this one completely right. And you know, hats off to Lewis, I guess, for admitting fault because it definitely was his fault. Um, but anyway, that wasn't the only incident that happened on lap one. I'm not sure if most people caught this, but Vettel um, actually pushed his teammate Lance Stroll out onto the gravel like right at the same time that the Hamilton uh, collision was happening. And Stroll was very lucky to keep going. He he kind of rolled over the gravel, gravel, lost a few positions, but he could have easily spun out and basically did what um, the other Canadian did uh, a lap later that I'll get to in one second. But that was a feisty-looking incident between Stroll and Vettel. And to be honest, I don't really have much... Like it was definitely Vettel's fault and it was pretty vicious, but at the same time, that's kind of how they've been racing each other this year. So as far as I'm concerned, it's fair game. But anyway, on lap two, the same spot, um, Latifi actually goes to make a great move on Ocon, who let's be honest, is in a way faster car. It would have been a great move, but then Latifi loses it, goes wide onto the gravel where Stroll almost lost the car and spins, collects Bottas on his birthday um, Latifi was able to continue, but of course, um, unfortunately for Valtteri, he got beached. Super unlucky for him. Um, and it's just more bad luck for Alfa Romeo, and that's the last thing that they need right now. Um, I'm going to talk about them actually a little bit later. So that incident brought up the safety car. Max and Charles were already up to P8 and P9 at this point. I believe they started P14 and 15 on the grid. Um, and... <laughs> very unfortunately for Charles, like this is just stupid bad luck and kind of hilarious at the same time. Max apparently um, couldn't see very well um, on lap one and two, probably because of all the incidents that were happening around him. And he tore off a piece of his visor. For those who don't know, it's just like the little pieces of, um, I guess, thin plastic that go over the driver helmet visors so that if, you know, it gets really wet or oily or dusty or whatever it is, they're able to take that off and kind of, you know, it's kind of like a windshield wiper where they can just clean off and get good vision again. Max somehow sniped uh, Leclerc's brake system. The tear off from Max's car goes into Leclerc's brakes. No one knew this at the time, 
but afterwards and everyone's able to slow it down look at the onboards they were able to find that it was max's tear off that went into leclerc's brake system and caused a bit of smoking in there and out of precaution ferrari pitted leclerc in hindsight they actually maybe didn't need to but you can't blame ferrari for that and let's be honest we would all blame ferrari for something that they did wrong this one it, you can't blame them at all they they honestly did the right thing to make sure that their their car is going to be okay because they should have had a lot of pace in hand over the field and they just went from you know p14 and p15 to p8 and p9 um, very quickly so you know why, why not just do that again and you'll be you'll be just fine and of course undoes all of his good work to stay behind max but i think that was the right call to bring him in um but yeah at the restart the race really slowed down and honestly it was it was just the max verstappen show he was picking off a car per lap and uh, leclerc actually struggled to get past gasly for a little bit um it was it was obvious that max was going to catch up to the leaders very quickly um by lap 12 of course there are very long laps at spa by lap 12 he was already leading the race it was due to early pit stops from his rival rivals, but only six laps later on lap 18, he passed Carlos Sainz for the net lead after the first round of pit stops, and he never looked back. Even on lap 21, uh, Perez overtook Sainz, uh, and he also drove off into the distance. It was an easy 1-2 for Red Bull, um, and I will get into some of the other driver performances and everything that happened behind them in a second. So I'm going straight into the results. Uh, the final results were Max again in P1, Red Bull's furthest down the grid victory in their history, and Perez, of course, made it a 1-2 going P2. Sainz, he finished P3, just holding off Russell in P4. Alonso, P5, after uh, Leclerc pitted for the fastest lap um, just before the end, and he came out behind Alonso, did not get the fastest lap, and then after the race got a... Uh, speeding in the pit lane uh, penalty that cost Leclerc P5. He gets demoted down to P6. Ocon, he finishes P7 from 17th on the grid. Vettel, he goes on to finish P8. He was he was sitting actually higher than that for most of the race, but unfortunately, faster cars just eventually caught up. P8 was the maximum result I think he could have got, so great job from him. And again, two straight drivers after Vettel who also got maximum results. Gasly, P9 from the pit lane. Great race and strategy earned him those points. And of course, anytime this car scores points, I'm calling it the blue dart. Alex Albon gets P10. That Williams was absolutely mighty from La Source all the way to Lake Combe. It's basically just one huge straight. And the Williams was actually purple in sector one in qualifying. They just lost a whole ton of time the rest of the track, probably like two seconds in sector two alone. Um, but yeah, that was that was a pretty crazy performance and honestly really smart from Williams just to maximize the strengths that they do have. They're very low drag and extremely low downforce. And the best place to overtake is definitely on the Kemmel Straight. Well, if you're the best car on the Kemmel Straight and you can get yourself up on the grid, and even if Albon didn't have the great performance in qualifying, you know, Latifi wasn't fast in qualifying and he started, I think, P11 on the grid. So really, if you can just have a good strategy and stay ahead, we'll see exactly what we did see. And that was a huge DRS train stuck behind Albon at a certain point in the race, just holding off and holding off and holding off and being able to take that one point for the team. Um, but yeah, uh, just a great performance from Albon. You know, he kept his head and, you know, Latifi fell from 11th down to plumb last in the race. 
So, you know, it's another kind of bad look for Latifi, um, but great look for Albon at the same time. Um, so, yeah, the Drivers' Championship. Max sits a whopping 284 points ahead of his teammate now, Perez usurps Leclerc. Uh, Perez now leads Leclerc by five points. Leclerc is only 15 points ahead of Sainz in P4. So it is now uh, probably in the order that it should be in terms of drivers for the teams that they're in. So it's Red Bull 1-2, Ferrari 3-4. Russell is demoted to P5. Only one point behind Sainz, though. And Hamilton loses ground to the top five. He is now 24 points behind Russell. But he is still a whole ton ahead of Lando Norris, who is in P7. He's sitting at 76 points. He only has a 12-point advantage to Ocon, who Ocon only has a 13-point advantage to Alonso, who started way behind Ocon and still intense somehow, just based off of performances from the beginning of the season, is Valtteri Bottas at 46 points. In the Constructors, Red Bull leads Ferrari by 118 points, while the Scuderia gets some points back over Mercedes, who now sit 39 points back. Alpine, they made a huge step over McLaren with a 16-point gain with a P5 and P7 finish. Um, they now lead by 20 points over McLaren. Alfa Romeo, they continue to falter. Zhou Guan Yu was not able to pick up any points for their team, so that makes it a scoreless one for them. But they lose no ground to Haas, who also did not score. They were both back-to-back ahead of Latifi, and that's it. So really no pace for Haas, although they did actually expect to not do well here. Shows what I know, because my bold prediction was that they would get back to double points this weekend. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of strange. I thought that the straight-line speed that they, they showed in Austria would actually come into play here. And I had maybe too much faith in their big upgrade. Yeah, uh, I guess if it's not a Ferrari track, it's not a Haas track either. So we'll see how they do in Zandvoort. I think that that track can be completely different for them. And we'll see if um, those upgrades will help there. Um, But yeah, uh, Williams, they finally score their first points since Miami with one point to put them at four on the season in P10. And I just completely skipped two teams, AlphaTauri and Aston Martin, both scored solid points to bring them closer to the P6 fight. They are now five and 10 points back from Haas, respectively. And then, yeah, sorry, Williams is in P10. I don't know how I just skipped two teams. But anyway, uh, now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. So my prize, uh, as much as it's a lame answer, it has to be Max Verstappen. That was a phenomenal performance. And even though I actually expected him to win, despite the grid penalty, I I predicted him to win in the preview. I did not know about the grid penalties at that point. But I'm telling you right now, I bet $10 on Max Verstappen to win because I saw those odds. Plus 300 um, for anyone listening and doesn't know American odds, I apologize. Um, it's basically times for your money. Um, so I made 40 bucks off that win. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, he did it in even more dominant fashion than I expected. Um, it was, it was said a million times this weekend. He, he really was in another league. Um, I I've heard that term used so much this weekend and it is kind of funny hearing it from basically everyone talking about the race, but there really was no other way to describe it. He, he was so much faster than his teammate, and their car was so much better than everyone else. So nobody, nobody could touch Max this weekend at all. 
Um, and I've never seen so much. I, I don't remember who said this, but it was probably the best description of the race too, is I had never seen a driver with so much pace in hand in a dry race. In a wet race, sometimes one driver is just finding the grip over everyone else. But in a dry race, it literally made no sense how much faster Max was than everyone else. Craziness. But I want to shout out some other drives though too. I didn't do a huge review because we do have a lot to talk about this episode. Um, so yeah, Sebastian Vettel, Esteban Ocon, Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly. Those four drivers, they all scored points in this race. And each of them just had phenomenal days in their own ways. Vettel, he had a mega start. Uh, and maintained solid pace the whole way. Like I said, um, he actually was running higher for a lot of the race, but faster cars just caught up to him. Not much he could do. And he actually had um, an interesting moment with Esteban Ocon, who I will segue into. Ocon, he had two double overtakes um, in this race, which was insane. He he had a first double overtake into the bus stop chicane, which is the final chicane before um, the start of a new lap. He gets past both Latifi and Ricardo here toes the McLaren all the way down uh, to the chicane and then you see Ricardo kind of get caught up behind Latifi Ocon outbreaks both of them overtakes them there and then later in the race this one was probably the one shown more often on social media and whatnot um, Vettel's having a little battle with Gasly and out of nowhere Ocon is just flying down the straight with DRS, getting past both Gasly and Vettel into Lacombe. That one was absolutely crazy as well. Ocon, an absolutely great race, I have to say. Um, and it was very slept on. This guy comes from 17th on the grid to finish P7. Behind his teammate, of course, Alonso um, got the promotion to go ahead of Leclerc. And he really never had a chance to catch up to Alonso. The race isn't going on forever. But honestly, I think Ocon had a better race than Alonso. That was that was very, very impressive from Ocon this weekend. And I hear more praise going to guys like Gasly and Albon more so than Ocon. And I think they all deserve a shout. So shout out Ocon. What a race. Um, Alex Albon, with his third points finish of the season in the Williams, I kind of already mentioned him. Super, super impressive from him. Just, I think the race IQ really showed here to just, you know, keep keep everyone in front until you get to Lacombe. Uh, sorry, until you get to Las Soros, turn one, they had the best car arguably out of anyone besides maybe the Red Bull coming out of turn one. And, you know, Albon was able to stay ahead basically for the whole like last into the race. He had a huge train right behind him and he was able to stay ahead the whole time. Stroll actually had a really good race as well, but he just could not do anything behind the Williams. And he actually said something on the radio like, it is impossible, like we have no chance to get past this Williams. Like it's it's literally impossible. That was a funny team radio. And Gasly, you know, with a quiet P9 from the pit lane. I don't know if it's stayed quiet. I feel like a lot of people that I've at least listened to have um, given Gasly his due. And hopefully we see a different Gasly in the second half. He, he disappointed me a lot in the first half of this season. Their car, of course, is not there. That has been mentioned plenty of times. But he hasn't really, you know, shown out that often like he typically does. So if he's getting the most out of that Alphatari uh, weekend after weekend, I think we might see him um, pick up some more like P9s and P10s. That would be great. Um, but yeah, all four of those guys, very impressive. And of course, Max Verstappen gets the prize. Demise. Um, I think this one might be McLaren. 
Uh, I was actually, it was kind of hard to pick one. There were some other candidates for demise, you know, Hamilton, of course, Leclerc, Latifi. Um, that one was definitely in consideration. But I think I'm just going to go with McLaren because they lost a huge um, amount of points to Alpine this weekend. They weren't able to find a way to get either driver in their points um, or in the points, sorry. Yes, Ricardo's underwhelming performance from P7 on the grid uh, did not help. Um, but they also made kind of bad strategy decisions that never really allowed either of their drivers to get into clean air. Uh, the straight line speed of the car is concerning. You know, this is a team demise, so it's not all on their drivers. Um, not providing your drivers with the car is also an L, like uh, like kind of what they did in Bahrain in Canada. Obviously, all those situations are different than to this one. Their best driver, Lando, had to start from the back. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the Mercedes PU, I think, is not as bad as it looks. And of course, you do need straight line speed at a track like Spa. Um, it's not as bad as it seems because I just think the McLaren and the Mercedes are just very draggy for how strong of a car they have. Um, because you mean, I mean, like look at the Williams, like they're low drag for sure. So that helps, but they're, they're extremely fast and the PU has potential. They just have to optimize the car and have low drag. That That's really all it is. I just think both those cars have high drag and, Adding on to the point with Mercedes, I think they made it even worse themselves because they added a suboptimal amount of downforce just to try to get those tires in the right window. Like I said, that really cost them in qualifying, not being able to fire up their tires. So I think they almost compounded the issue. Although if it did help the tire situation, then I think having the tires in the right window is better than just being a tiny bit slow on the straights. But yeah, I think the straight line speed definitely hurt both of these teams. And McLaren um, was stuck in that DRS train basically with both cars the whole race. Um, and they probably did not enjoy staring at the back of a Williams for a good chunk of this Belgian Grand Prix. Um, but I'm already talking a bit about Mercedes and they're gonna be my surprise. Uh, their lack of pace. Um, I didn't expect them to take a huge step or anything with the new TD. Uh, technical directive that is but I also wasn't expecting them to be down 1.8 seconds over one lap yeah that, that sounds really bad and it is but being such a long lap there is more circuit for the pace gap to show in the times that's why I think you know six tenths to signs is pretty bad but if it was six tenths in Monaco you know that is ridiculous it's such a short lap um, even Zandvoort if we see six tenth gap in Zandvoort that is very concerning it's still concerning in spa but it's lesser so because of the length of the lap um but yeah what concerned me most about the mercedes and i think this is a lot to do with the tires but it, it's sector two i'm not surprised so much about the four tenths that they lost in the power hungry sectors of one and three you think if they're gonna lose that much um in those power hungry sectors they would arguably make it up in sector two and be one of the fastest cars there, especially when, you know, this car has performed well at, you know, kind of flowing um, high speed corner kind of uh, parts of circuits. And that is kind of what sector two is. Yet Mercedes just had nothing to offer there. They were down almost a whole second to pull sitter Max Verstappen. Um, so, yeah, that concerns me going forward. And I can't say I have a ton of confidence in Mercedes over this triple header, especially in Monza, because if they can't get their tires working there and they need to add downforce there, they might not even finish in the points. Because let's be honest, Monza is pure power 
Um, and if, yeah, if they can't get their low downforce uh, working on, on their car, it's going to be bad for all teams that can't get it working because that's another thing Ferrari's worried about is they were shocked at how bad they were with low downforce setups on their car. So yeah, we'll see what happens in Monza. Uh, let's quickly talk about the championship. So let's not waste any time talking about what's going on up front because it is the Red Bull and Max Verstappen show at the moment. And I'm much more intrigued by the midfield battle right now, especially between 6th and 9th. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. Alfa Romeo lead Haas, who lead Alfa Tauri, who lead Aston Martin. And I honestly believe that P6 could be anyone's game. Alfa could score two points for the rest of the season, the way that they've been running lately. Um, Haas has really stalled after those two back-to-back double points finishes. And now Gasly, hopefully he's looking a little rejuvenated after a solid performance in Hungary that unfortunately didn't score many points, but then he has a cracking race um, in Spa. And Aston Martin, if they can solve their qualifying woes, they probably have the strongest car in race trim out of those four teams, and they're the ones in ninth, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, the issue for these teams, though, is that it, it is very difficult to score points in bunches. Because if you think about it, there's five teams that are clearly stronger than the rest of the field. Those five teams are um, the front runners of Red Bull and Ferrari, the Mercedes, and then the McLaren and the Alpine, who are in their own little battle for fourth. That, I must say, uh, Alpine is really looking like they're going to be the ones to take it. And it's not just because of their car. It's because Daniel Ricciardo, McLaren just doesn't have a second driver at the moment. And that's really going to hurt them and the constructors for the second year in a row. And uh, I really don't want to slander Daniel because we all love Daniel, but it's just it's just the truth, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, uh, everyone is just more likely, everyone as in these teams from 6th and ninth, is just more likely to score a point or two here and there because, you know, um, those those five teams, that makes 10 drivers that are going to be in the top 10 quite a bit. Even Ricardo is going to find himself in the top 10 a few more times. He just doesn't seem to have these big results like Lando, and he's in that top 10 a lot less often. Um, but yeah, so that makes these hot starts that Alfa Romeo and Haas had so much more valuable because honestly, if you look at the results a bit deeper, since Spain, which is round six, by the way, and we're at round 15 in Zandvoort, Haas has scored the most points out of these four teams with 19. And all of those points came from two races, Great Britain and Austria. Alfa Romeo, they have scored two points since round six, and 10 of those points came from Canada, where they scored a double points finish, P7 and P8. And the only other points that they scored were a Bottas, P9, and Monaco. Both those races felt like ages ago. And like I said, there's been how many rounds? It's round 15. That was round six. They've only scored in two races as well. Alpha Tauri, they've only scored 12 points, same as Alfa Romeo. Ten of those points came in Baku when Gasly scored an impressive P5. And the other two came last weekend, so that's only two races that they've scored since round six. Yes, that also means that Yuki has not scored since round six. So if he can't score points, that's really going to hurt Alpha Tauri in this situation. And that brings me to Aston Martin, who I think this is fascinating. Aston Martin, they've only scored one less point than Haas since round six with 18 points. However, one of their drivers have scored in each race since then, except for Austria. 
Take out Austria, one of their drivers has been in the points in each race since Spain. I bet you didn't notice that, did you? Like, that is actually crazy to me. And they haven't outscored Haas, who have only scored in two two of those races. Um, it's just because they haven't been able to get that big points haul. Besides, maybe you could say uh, Vettel, P8, and Baku. Because basically everything else that they've done has been P10. And they have, like, another P9 and a Vettel P8 last weekend. Um, so, yeah, make of that what you wish. But I think if Aston can get just one big double points haul... Um, I think they could realistically still take P6 in this championship. Uh, the midfield is is spicy, folks, and I really wish the TV direction would have focused on that at the end in Spa um, instead of just you know watching Max Verstappen float around up top because they kind of followed him, and they also followed the Russell and Sainz battle, which I think as soon as Russell lost that like seven tenths, um, I think it was at Stavlo. It was really no point in watching that. And we had this huge DRS train. And yes, nothing ended up happening. So maybe they knew better. But I would have rather watched that, to be honest, just to see how close it got. Um, but yeah, I think this is going to get very interesting. Aston Martin, I think, only sits... I think they're 31 points behind Alfa Romeo. And that is quite um, quite a step to make for a team in ninth place, let's be honest. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility, to be honest. Call me crazy, but Aston is, I think, improving. Alfa Romeo is on the downswing. Let's see what happens. I think Alf, uh, Aston Martin can at least finish P7. Um, honestly, I would put money on them to overtake Haas, at least, in this championship. So, yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. I'm going to be keeping a close eye on that. I suggest you do, too, because this championship is... Red Bulls and it is dead. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get into the quick preview of the Dutch Grand Prix, guys. You know what? Um, it it it's the second leg of a triple header. So I got no time to be talking too much about the Belgian Grand Prix. We got a Dutch Grand Prix coming up, and I've already made two segues. So you know what? Let's cue the pit stop sound again. Alright guys, the preview of the Dutch Grand Prix, the home of the hotter than scorched earth Max Verstappen will likely uh, be absolute scenes at the Zandvoort circuit. Uh, last season, the Red Bull was suited very nicely to this track and Verstappen made no mistake, winning in impressive fashion at his home race in, in its first season on the F1 calendar since 1985. Um, Hamilton was... I honestly think Hamilton drove a pretty great race. He was very, very close to Max Verstappen in qualifying. Um, just could not get the better of him. It's it's a hard track to overtake. Like I'll get into that in, in a second. Um, and he was on the back of him for most of the race, but I think he quickly learned that he's not going to be able to get it done. Max was just too quick. Um, and those two were really in a league of their own. Uh, Lewis was able to pit um for the fastest lap at the very end and there was a bit of drama because Bottas was told not to get the fastest lap I don't know if you guys remember this and then he just did it anyway and this was on the weekend that it was announced that he was going to Alfa Romeo so that was that was kind of funny it did kind of seem like a a Bottas FU moment uh to the team but Lewis eventually did get that fastest lap um and that was crucial because it added to the drama of Abu Dhabi the drivers would not have been level on points had that not happened. 
So yeah, very, very interesting stuff happened last year in Zanvor. And of course the hometown boy won. So after the race, it was Orange City. And I'm hoping that it's not too crazy with flares because there was quite a, quite a, um, quite a stir up um, in Austria with the flares. And I'm hoping it doesn't get too out of hand this year. But anyways... This track, the Zandvoort, of course, is very well known for its banking um, in a few corners, but most notably the final right-hander that goes onto the pit straight. Um, and it is certainly a unique challenge for the drivers. This isn't really at any other circuit. Um, and these drivers already deal with an incredible amount of G-force in the car at a normal track. Now they have to go through a whole different sensation on the banking. It's like a vertical G-force instead of a lateral one. And, you know, speaking of that banking, word is out that F1 is considering trialing DRS on the banking to encourage overtaking. Um, and let's be honest, if it weren't for Perez starting from the pit lane last year due to a shocking qualifying session, um, he was out in Q1, I'm pretty sure of that. We likely probably wouldn't have seen much overtaking at all last season. He had a great recovery drive to, I want to say, like P6, P5 or P6, Perez. Um, and he won driver of the day. I remember that vividly. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very narrow high downforce track with not very many opportunities to overtake, like I mentioned, but it really is a delight in qualifying, you know, seeing them go through the banking and it's, it's kind of a cool flowing track, but I must say come Sunday, um, and I just, I can't lie if it weren't for Supermax dominating F1 being one of the biggest stars on the grid, I don't think this track would sniff the calendar. If it weren't for this superstar Dutch driver, this track wouldn't even be considered um, to come back. But of course, Max is who he is, and they wanted to get him a home race because the Dutch fans are crazy for Super Max. Um, so if you're Dutch and you're listening to this, I hope you agree because I'm right. <laughs> I'm absolutely right. Let's be honest. Zandvoort is is cool, um, but it is 100% for Max Verstappen. If there were no British drivers, Silverstone would be on there. Silverstone's a classic. We don't have a Belgian driver. We're keeping Spa because it's a classic. I mean, they are considering getting rid of it, so maybe that's a bad example. But those are legendary tracks. Zandvoort, sure, it was old, um, and it has some history, but guys, it's it's... It's, it's very meh on, on Sunday. Anyways, um, some quick news to go over before I get straight into my predictions because I think the storylines going into race weekends are somewhat important. Um, so yeah, heading into this weekend, um, and the reason I did this episode a day late is because there was a meeting with the Contract Resolution Board. I mean, I think I'm actually getting that. I could be getting that acronym wrong, to be honest. But anyway, it's a board to basically go over a bunch of legal stuff and figure out who has the rights to Oscar Piastri because this thing has been going on for, it feels like, quite a long time now. Where is Oscar Piastri going to drive? Um, and unfortunately, I have no update to provide there. I actually waited all Monday because I was really, really expecting some news. I wasn't expecting McLaren to just announce Piastri for 2023, but I really did think that we would hear, you know, it's looking like this team is going to have the rights to Piastri, or it's looking like the other team will. I heard absolutely nothing, but you know, keep your eyes peeled for that. We could get an announcement before Zanvoort, just not as soon as I thought, apparently. 
Um, and of course, it is a bit old, but actually unmentioned on this podcast. Daniel Ricardo is out at McLaren. If you don't know that, I'm just letting you guys know. And it actually looks like Gasly might be a candidate at Alpine after all. After I kind of, I kind of like completely downplayed the possibility of that. I was kind of ripping into everyone who was calling that a possibility. And to be fair, Alvatari still has all the control, and I really did not expect. Alpine to want to pay AlphaTauri out of Gasly's contract to get his services, but apparently they're interested in that. Um, there's quite a few rumors about that, so keep an eye out there as well to see if they can strike a deal. I don't know if it'll be super soon, but apparently Alpine is um, willing to look past the Gasly and Ocon debacle, um, and I do think how Ocon raises his teammates with Alonso and especially Sergio Perez this could get very spicy, but at the end of the day, Alpine just want two good drivers. And Gasly is worth a shot if these two can just, you know, get on with it and not get in each other's way. So it's, I guess it's worth a shot if AlphaTauri will give Gasly up for a reasonable price. Um, so yeah, I definitely keep your eyes out on that because that will be huge if it does get announced. And the last one that I'll mention, not as big, but I think it is very important. And there are quite a few fans of Mick Schumacher probably because he is such a sweetheart, such a nice guy, and of course, fans of Michael Schumacher, one of the best of all time. My goat, personally, and I am a Lewis fan. Michael was different, but anyway, Mick Schumacher will unfortunately be dropped from Ferrari Driver Academy in 2023, meaning um, we might never see him race for the team that his dad is so famously, um, I guess so famous for winning five championships with in a row no one has still been able to do that win five drivers championship in a row and i really do think that mick's uh has seat has got even hotter um and antonio giovinazzi he's he's going to get some fp1 looks this season in the Haas. and keep in mind these practices that giovinazzi are getting in the Haas do not count towards Haas's young driver tests um so we'll see who they put in for that um, Antonio does not count and they're still giving him two looks to see if he could be a good replacement for Schumacher at the American team. So yeah, those are, those are the big news. Let's get into my Zandvoort predictions though. I really think Max Verstappen is just on another level right now. He's going to continue that momentum into his home race. He unfortunately couldn't get it done in Austria, which is a bit of a home race for the team. I think he gets kind of a little bit of redemption for that and wins in front of his home fans. Although the Belgian Grand Prix is kind of a home race for him too. This is the big one though. I think he gets it done again, even though on paper this could be a Ferrari track. But then again, Hungary was supposed to be a Ferrari track and Max spun and won by 10 seconds. Um, so yeah, I just think the Red Bull's on fire right now. They've solved the issues that they have with their car. Max is the best driver on the grid. He has tons of incentive, even though he's way ahead in the championship, tons of incentive to win in front of his home crowd. I think he get, grabs pole and victory once again. But finishing the podium, I think Leclerc bounces back. He gives Max maybe a good battle at the beginning um, and takes a solid result to P2. It's It's been way too long since Leclerc has just finished a race normally behind Max, ahead of his teammate. I'm thinking he's finally going to do it here. And it's funny because I did, in my Belgian predictions, I, I got it wrong. I had Lewis on the podium, which, of course, did not happen. But I did have Leclerc finishing the lowest 
out of the top six. Lewis, of course, didn't finish the race, but still, Leclerc finished P6, and, you know, it was partially due to his engine penalty, of course, but they still kind of bottled his race a little bit, which was kind of funny. So I did get that kind of right. I don't think that happens here. I think, you know, Ferrari's going to have to have a different mindset going forward. And I just think, you know, Leclerc finishes solidly P2. And I'm going to give Perez um, P3. He's going to beat out Sainz in a close battle for that final spot on the podium. Um, and Mercedes, I think, will be better this weekend. And I think they're going to be in kind of close to that podium battle. But I think they're going to finish in order behind the Red Bulls and the Ferraris here. Um, my bold prediction, though, is that only the top five constructors will score points. So I think there will be no DNFs between Alpine, McLaren, Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. And I think that Daniel Ricciardo will finish P10, just edging out Pierre Gasly, I will say, for um, the final point scoring position at the very end of the race. So I got Mercedes P5, P6, Ricciardo P10, and I already gave you my podium. Um, and I'm going to say Sainz finishes P4, of course. Who, who is going to finish P7, P8, P9 between uh, Norris, Alonso, and Ocon? I'm not going to bother with my exact top 10 because that obviously isn't going to happen. But yeah, that's my bold prediction. I think uh, the top five teams will take the whole points from Zanvoort. So yeah, that's going to do it for the Zhou Guanyu episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 25 next week to review the Dutch Grand Prix. It's only round two of the triple header, and I am once again headed to the States, guys. Um, I was just got back from Nashville. Now I'm going to Pittsburgh and to Cleveland. Um, I might not be able to watch the race live, unfortunately, but I will have it watched before the next episode, I promise. So, goodbye.